Hello, I'm Howard Phillips Lovecraft, and despite all my warning, you're listening to Microphones of Madness. That's not your tune, Kim. Hey, everybody. I don't think you want to know what that is. <laughs> So no, we got enough for a great start. Oh, fucking broke the intro again. <laughs> it's Saturday night. Microphones of Madness, most chaotic podcast on the internet. It is September the tenth, two thousand sixteen, and tonight. Never forget. That's tomorrow. I forgot about tomorrow. Uh, oops. As always, we are joined by the illustrious Dr. Stefan Wilson. Good. And Madame Odysseus. Yes. Yes. Yes, darling. And tonight we are going to be talking about one of the classics. Mr. Robert W. Chambers, kind of carrying over from a Joe Pulver edited anthology into Mr. Pulver's personal hero, Robert Chambers. But we are not talking about The King in Yellow. We're not? You mean I read the wrong thing? Yes! (laughs) That's okay. King in Yellow is always worth a reread. Yes. Tonight we're going to be talking about the short story, The Maker of Moons, the uh, title story of the anthology, Maker of Moons, uh, published around 1896. Not even last century modern, it's a century before that. Yes, an old story. Yeah. An oldie station today. All right. Well, paranormal romance. It's like the Elvis of. It's 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 a little bit of everything, really. I mean, Chambers is kind of all over the place in this story. He's, uh, I mean, he he starts off the first two paragraphs of this story are just straight up yellow peril. (laughs) (laughs) And it only it only gets better from there. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Get your asses up here, federal government, before the rednecks lay waste to the land. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so we're going to start, uh, I started with Kim last time, so we're going to start with Steve, you want to do the synopsis and your initial impressions of the story. Sure, so what we have are a bunch of rich motherfuckers. Who are hunting? Goddamn uh, one percenters near near the Canadian border, and there's some intrigue going on because um, in the same area they've discovered there's a, a group of counterfeiters who have learned to create gold. So they're alchemical counterfeiters, mm-hmm. and it's very important because a the economy can go tits up. Because this is back when there was a gold standard. And B, one of the characters owns a gold mine. It's <laughs> a direct threat. And the other works for the Secret Service, which is the Department of the Treasury. 
Right. So, yes. So they go hunting, and soon after that, the Secret Service man and the gold miner owner go off to uh, stalk these uh, counterfeiters. And while this is going on, our narrator has an unusual experience in the woods. He made a, a mysterious uh, forest lady. Yes. <laughs> who he can't determine if she's actually, he actually met this woman who is drop-dead gorgeous or if she was somehow a figment of his imagination. Because he, he was napping at the time, so it could have been a dream. It, it could have been a dream. I mean, the first time could have been a dream, but then the second time when he comes back later and she says, oh, you came back. Mm -hmm. Then it, it starts to, you know, become a little more real. And there's a mysterious, scary yellow face stalking yes. the groundskeeper. There's, there's, there's a Chinaman that it seems like only the help can see. <laughs> it's true. It's and true. why would a Chinaman be in the lumber country? They don't do that sort of thing. Right, right. Yeah, so, so you have uh, the hunters, you have the uh, intrigue with the gold. You come to find out that uh, this Chinaman that everybody's seeing in the woods is actually the most powerful sorcerer who is the leader of this group of powerful sorcerers who control all of China. Right. What are they doing in the Vermont woods? They're counterfeiting gold. Enjoying the scenery. Why are they doing this? Don't really know. Never really find that out. But they're there, and they are a menace. And they must right. be stopped, these Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what is what is, now? I know Steve and I have read this story before in the past, and and we read it again to freshen up for the show. Had you read it before, Kim? I had not. Well, what were your impressions of the story? Well, um, ignoring the racism, it was actually pretty good, I thought. I mean, it was a bit of a mystery. It was supernatural suspense. There was there were some really nice, creepy moments, even, that I didn't necessarily expect. And I've almost come to expect that things like that can happen in America. And yet here's one set in America. Mm -hmm. I mean, aside, of course, from Lovecraft, who sets everything in New England. Right. This is something else. Well, you know, this is... And this is... And, and Steve, Steve, you forgot about the monsters. Yes, the monsters <laughs> that were... Uh, well, Jesus Christ. If, if evil Chinese sorcerers, big trouble in... in, in no, no, Vermont. Cardinal Forest, <laughs> you know, wasn't enough for you. They're yes. they're monsters. But these monsters are okay. So these monsters are described in at least three different ways throughout the, throughout the course of the book. Right. I I actually I really do like this story. Um, I think this story actually more than the King in Yellow itself is at the root of, of a lot of Lovecraft-type weird fiction. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think you have cultural appropriation for, for your monsters. Check. Which right. which is big. I think you have... Um, Evil non-wasps. Check. Right. Yes, yes. Well, that goes with the... Yeah. <laughs> Super check. Uh, can't get away have, from that. So you have um, encounters that could or could not be in reality. Check. Uh, you have indigenous populations who are threatened by the the mysterious others who very well could rise up and threaten the countryside in retribution. So the, I saw a lot of Innsmouth in here mm-hmm. um, and then a lot of the color out of space. Well, and of course, the most telling part is you have the dire warning at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. That if this isn't taken care of, it could ruin us. It could the, destroy the us framing, all. The framing device of that this story is an account prepared for an official to read. Right. right. Even even though the the second part of that framing device lends doubt to the the verisimilitude of the story itself, but not in the Lovecraft way of the, the you know the junkie who's mm-hmm. run out of morphine so is going to jump out a window, right? Or 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 is being hunted by the three lobed eye, right? His, but almost it's almost kind of a Wizard of Oz type of well, right? It's like his the 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 woman he meets in the woods mm-hmm. um, turns out to be his wife, and she's like, "Why are you writing that nonsense?" <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, just flat out, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mentioned and Kim mentioned as well that there's, there's, there's a little bit of everything in this, in this book, in this story. If, if it were written today, it would be classified as definitely genre bending, because it doesn't necessarily stick to one formula. You have your dire warning at the beginning, and then you, we, we are thrust into this encounter. Um, at, at the office of Godfrey, a designer at Tiffany's, and this is almost written as comedy. Um, you know, I, I listened to part of the the audio recording of it. <laughs> I, was, I listened to part of the audio recording of it, and uh, in a frightening monotone and a horrible Manchester accent. That is correct, and, and you're right. It was a bit of a monotone, and and also also the 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 um, voiceover artist in this, if you want to call him an artist, in this particular audio recording was playing the first chapter very straight. When it seems to me, it's more was more you know intentionally written to be funny. Right, like a Cary Grant kind of deadpan funny. Right. I mean, you know, he, we we see, you know, our our narrator. We we later learned that his first name is Roy, and it it's like halfway through the story before we learn his name is Roy. Yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you, because of that first scene, I picture Roy as Cary Grant throughout the entire story. Uh. Right. And. Basically, the the best you can tell is that Roy is this dilettante guy. Um, he has nothing to do all day long, so he goes and visits this friend of his, 
who is a designer at Tiffany's, because, you know, if you're in the upper crust of New York society, this is what you do. Well, he might have been at Tiffany's to buy a bottle. Uh, perhaps, but... Stop by Godfrey's, maybe pick up a brooch. Right, and Godfrey, yes. Godfrey is like, yo, dude, check this out. Oh, my, that's exquisite. How much? <laughs> it's a well, solid, sorry, gold, dude, solid gold dragon. Right, it's a solid gold dragon, apparently hand carved. Uh, well, they say a serpent. Yeah. Um, I assumed because of the Chinese elements later that it was more of a of a of a long yeah type of thing because it would look more serpentine than say a Western dragon. Well, um, dragon later on, so yeah. It could also have been like a naga from Southeast Asia or something like that, or it could have been just a snake. We're not really sure. It's a serpentine creature. That's, that's a reptile. Now, Carved of solid gold. Pay attention to that vagueness of, in description because the whole story mm -hmm. is very vague in its description. Right. And, and somewhat contradictory. At yes. Times. And so Godfrey, you know, they're... Godfrey and Roy are just like they're looking at this snake, and then some motherfucking thing comes crawling up out of Godfrey's pocket. <laughs> and you know, and Roy for no reason, it's just there, and nobody there. cares about it. No, like, no, Godfrey doesn't care. Godfrey doesn't care. Roy, Roy is does, like, but, what but he the doesn't fuck do anything about it. Yeah, I mean, they're right. walking to work that, like that. To you. If I were, if I came to your place of work, Rodney, and I was talking to you about shit, and then a spider crawled out of your pocket, I'd be like, "Dude, there's a spider." Oh, okay, I'd be like, "You want me to kill it for you?" No, it, it, it came with the dragon. <laughs> At that point, I would kill it, <laughs> unless it was like your pet tarantula or something. But you know, if it was just a regular run-of-the-mill bug. Yes, I would but, offer to kill know, it and then kill it. I mean, tarantulas are recognizable. This thing is just right. fucking god. And, and we're going to get into the description of what this thing is, but first I want to talk about Roy and, and Godfrey's reaction to the thing in his pocket. And and pretty much, you know, it's like, hey, you ever seen anything like this before? <laughs> no, god. And, and Roy says, quote, no, I said truthfully, and I hope I never shall again. Well, tough luck there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it is the first What is it? Oh, by the way, I don't know. <laughs> what is it? Well, it's, it is. A, it's clearly a cross between an elephant and a rhino. An elephant. Ah, yeah, there you go. But, so, but like throughout the throughout the book, these things have been described as sea urchins. Mm -hmm. Spiders, crabs, crabs reptiles. reptiles, hairy reptiles, dogs without heads. Mm -hmm. So you can't get a clear picture of in what your it mind like. of what it is. And we were talking about this earlier, Rodney and I were, that because I had this picture of like a long, uh, sinuous thing with like spines like a sea urchin mm -hmm. um, and many like like centipede legs sticking out but more or less serpentine 
Right. And Ronnie and I posted a picture that I had found that I thought fit it, and Ronnie was like, "What is that?" I'm like, "It's a yeth hound," which is what they're called later on in the in the story. He goes, "That's not what they look like," and I'm like, "Yeah, they are." And he goes, "No," and he quoted something, and I went back and quoted something else, and you just can't get a clear picture of what they are because they're described completely differently in different parts right. of the story. It, even even Chambers, I mean. Most of those descriptors are used within three or four sentences yes. of each other. So Chambers is, without doing the whole, it was indescribable, you know, and then proceeding to try to describe it, he leaves it deliberately as vague and confusing as possible. Um, the, the exact quote from Godfrey is, uh, it is, I believe, the connecting link between a sea urchin, a spider, and the devil. <laughs> so there you go um, but now later on they, mm -hmm. they, they find these gold spheres with uh, lungs on them yes and at some point they their lungs change into these yeth hounds and it takes them a moment to figure it out so there's like a connection between dragons and these things right and it, it's, it's, it's all very confusing. Yes, it's very weird. And it also weird. and it also kind of works within within the framing devices, you know, at, at the end of the story because this is this story was published in eighteen ninety six. We're not gonna we're gonna spoil the shit out of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't read it by now, you should have. Or you know, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, like as this is one of the first quoted, weird tales ever written. Right. Even if you haven't read it, you've kind of read it. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah. So what you have is is you have the frame. Why are you writing this nonsense? Which kind of like gives Roy this unreliable narrator check. Um. Type of sensibility, but there's also that whole thing with dreams, and since we're on this kind of running over into the subject of dreams. There's always that kind of thing in dreams where one moment something looks like this and the next moment it's actually something else. Right. So this very well, this type of creature very well could have been one of those types of figments of a dream, you know, a dreamscape that it looks kind of like a crab one moment, it looks like a spider, it looks like a reptile. You know, and it looks like all of those things either at once or depending on what your mind is doing at the time, it looks like whatever he describes it as. Interestingly enough, the only thing consistent in the description of this of these things is the odor. Yes. Oh yeah, that's right. They they stank. Yeah, they they have an acrid stink and. It's really the only description that uses odor. Mm -hmm. So whenever in the in the narrative, when they start talking about an odor, these things are coming. Right. And Roy is very grossed out by this thing. Roy does not like that. Yeah. Nobody. He, he, he has else, never hated an animal like that. Like he's hated this thing. Everybody else is so nonplussed about them. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, it's just like an ant or whatever. And Roy really hates them. 
Right. <laughs> you don't know why. Nobody really. Yeah, nobody. Nobody else seems to care. It might be them. because he has the uh, the birthmark. We'll talk about that in a moment. But yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody else that encounters these these creatures, really, they don't react. They react the same way that you know some people react when they see a spider, or people who are not afraid of snakes react as snakes. Or when somebody's you know. dog walks in the room. Right. Exactly. Say, oh, get that thing out of here! Just mm -hmm. you know. As like, oh, whatever. Oh, one of these. I'll you get know, and, off the table. Right, and okay, I'm in trying fact, to that's think. That's literally what happens at one point. It's a, get get it off the dinner table. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to eat breakfast here. Yeah. <laughs> Sweep it out into what the, the street. What the hell? <laughs> Alfred. <laughs> yes. Um. Right, and and uh, you know, Roy is inquiring as to where the fuck did that thing come from anyway? And he's like, oh, it must have been in the crate with the dragon. And like, oh, well, where did that come from? He's like, oh, card, you know, the Cardinal Forest area. He's like, well, if I knew there were creatures like that running around in the Cardinal Forest, I wouldn't have scheduled my vacation for there. <laughs> Fuck that shit. Um, and pretty much he's like, and you should go out and kill that. He's like, I'll leave, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the chapter. And we get to the second chapter where Roy and his buddies are on the train going up to the forest for their, their little hunting expedition. Right. Now, Roy's buddies are deplorable <laughs> people. Yes. I have not really. I don't like any of the characters in the story. Um, mm -hmm. I can't identify with any of them, and I, I just don't. The one guy, Pierpont, Pierpont is so rich that he can't put on his own boots. Right. Oh right. He has it a is. he has a man to do that for him. Right. His How his only. His only character traits are money and ennui. So you can just see his chin jutting out. <laughs> but yeah, Come that's geez. not how I see uh, Pierpont talking. That's how I see Barris talking. Well, now, Barris was described as both trim and stout. Yes. Ruddy and bronze. So <laughs> he's got, like, his whole description is in opposition with himself. Right. He's short but tall. He, he's fat but svelte. <laughs> but he's, a, he's Barris is apparently the oldest of the three. Yes. And and he does. Perhaps. He has the mustache and the the pipe smoking and yeah. he's <laughs> Barris works for the Secret Service. That's right. He works for the Secret Service. He's actual. He's he's actually a colonel. Yeah, colonel. So this is where you find out that there is counterfeiters mm -hmm. in the woods, and Barris has scheduled their vacation to coincide with his um, investigation of the counterfeiters, and they're counterfeiting gold. Mm -hmm. And Pierpont 
own a gold mine for crying out loud. I own a gold mine. My profits. My paycheck. My paycheck. My money. Um. But the the funny thing about Barrett. Okay, so. As soon as the guys are we're shown on the train, as soon as we're introduced to the characters, they are sitting there just fucking with each other yes. the whole time. And pretty much any scene all three characters are in, they start fucking with each other. Um, you know, just just picking picking at each other, you know, trading, you know, snide little insults and comments back and forth. It's kind of like me and Nick Nicario, except with more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and less and less upper body strength. <laughs> um, but yeah, the funny thing is, is, is the the first pieces of dialogue we see of these characters are you know old men shouldn't hit on the ladies who are waiting you know waiting on the passengers. <laughs> you might be confounded to know that she was a member of the Secret Service. Really? The Secret Service? Yes, I have a special top secret telegram that I'm going to let you read now. <laughs> because, you know... And that's the weirdest device <laughs> in the story. Sorry, Nick just... What's up, Nick? <laughs> Hi, Nick. Get back um, to work, Nick. <laughs> so, yeah, is you you find out that, that that Barris works for the Secret Service. You know, the the lady on the train was one of his the agents under his employ, and he has this his the vacation is coinciding with he has ulterior motives. He's on a secret job, and guess what? You guys get to help me on this because you know you're you're rich bastards and my friends and. You know, here's the top secret telegram that tells you all what it's about. And oh, by the way, um, these these guys are are counterfeiting gold. And he's like, but they're like, but gold's an element. That's what I was taught in school. And he's like, exactly. But these guys are making it out of stuff. And so, then, so you end up with almost this kind of spy story. Well, then you or, have this scientist mm-hmm. who was who was figured out how to do it. By analyzing this gold, right? Who was mysteriously shot hours right. before the train left? Well, it's a good thing he knows how to do it, and probably even a better thing if he never does. It. Well, he was shot two days ago. Well, and, and that and that is when we get the, the quote: "Science need not know things that would upset the world." Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> That would upset the world. And when I say upset the world, I mean my bank account. Yes. Really. And, and yeah, so you have Pierpont. He has he has his butler, a man named, a, a, a British gentleman named Howlett. And and probably one of the most egregious pieces of, of Chambers' writing is he writes Howlett with kind of a cockney accent. He does. And, and describes him as that as well. Um, he calls him, hold on, because I had this highlighted, because it pissed me off too. 
His little man was a weird English importation, stiff, very carefully scrubbed, tangled in his aspirates, named Halvet. Mm-hmm. So that means he dropped his ages. <laughs> oh, no, he added his ages. No, no, he dropped some here. Sometimes he does it, sometimes he doesn't. It depends on where the age is. The rain in Spain falls mainly on the plain. And for for this uh, for this quasi dramatic reconstruction of the maker of moons, Howlett will be played by Michael Caine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, here's the the part also where we find out that uh, Pierpont is so lame that crimping shotgun shells. shells. Um, was enough to give him an appetite. <laughs> cleaning, he found he enjoyed cleaning his own gun for a change. Yes. So he, he went to breakfast with an appetite after uh, loading a shell or two. Oh, it's, uh, uh, I'm famished. Oh. Yes. And yeah, it was well, kind of it was kind of interesting. They 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 dragged poor Pierpont out here. It seems like to, to teach him some self sufficiency, man. Damn it, man! Do a thing for yourself. It, it's funny because you were like my man. This is I think these are the people that uh, Chambers surrounded himself with. Possibly, or his parents surrounded right, himself. Right. Well, with. Chambers was from. The upper crust mm-hmm. came over on the Mayflower, educated in Massachusetts. My ancestor founded Providence, Rhode Island, for crying out loud. Yes. So he. Ooh, Nodula Craft. He knows a lot about these people, and he's totally making fun of them here. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I think I think he's definitely picking picking at the types of personalities the. The old, the retired military officer, the 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 man who's so rich he just can't do anything for himself because he always had servants to do it, and the guy who's just so rich he's just bored, you know, and 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 that's Roy. <laughs> right. Well, and it's funny because a lot of weird fiction depends on stereotypes. Yes. To be effective. Not usually with the main characters. Usually, and there's plenty of this as well, it's the villains mm-hmm. and the monsters that are the stereotypes. Right. Here we, we have the, the, the good guys, quote-unquote, are also... Stereotypes. Stereotypes. Right for the... For, yeah. And comedic ones as well, not... Not like the the yellow menace, but th- mm-hmm. these are like you know Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and right. Costello. Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello. Um, I considered writing a note likening them to a like one percenter wolf pack. <laughs> you know that, that you know the maker of moons is essentially like a, the proto hangover for like really rich guys. Um. And it does seem like that's what they do. These guys go off on these adventures together, and as a threesome, and you know, 
nights on the town or whatever, and they they this is this is their regular day to day stuff. Is they oh we're going to go shooting this weekend, and next week we'll go to Monte Carlo and now they have these dogs. Yes. Did any of you bother looking up what those dogs' names mean? Uh, no. no, I didn't look up any of the yeah. dogs' names. Okay, they are Thug, Street Urchin, and Kid. Oh, nice. Let me guess. Kid is Roy's dog. No, Thug is Roy's dog. Thug is Roy's dog. <laughs> Thug is Roy's dog. Will you? So they're all like French um, derogatory words. Right. These are their dogs. The rich people have dogs named after... Um, Dickinsonian stereotypes. <laughs> but, you know, in, but in some ways, but in some ways, you know, Boyu is kind of a kind of a thug. Man, Boyu was my favorite character in this entire story. Shut up. You know, I, I liked him too. Oh yeah, he was he was the best. He's I mean, a good dog. Because Boyu was actually the only character in this story that had any sense about him. Right. I loved the way Roy talks to Boyu. There's there he he has this. There's you you it's see the conversation. He exactly, and he speaks to Boyu in with a with almost a, a respect that he does not give to his equals. You know that that right. he loves this dog more than anything, and this dog is. His best friend, and and they they hang out a lot apparently. Um, and he's a very well trained dog. He's a very good dog, which is why he's my favorite character because he's the only indication in the beginning that something fucked up is going on. Right. He's yep. smarter than anybody else because well, when when the Chinaman is seen. The only the, the, the dogs uh, react. Right. And Voyou, um, his hackles come up. Mm-hmm. And and David, the, the, the dog handler, right. says, uh, well, he must have seen, there was a wood, I saw a woodchuck or a, yeah, woodchuck or something mm-hmm. um, go by. And he must have seen that and gotten distracted. But then you find out that this dog does not get distracted. Right. This dog exactly. knows its business. In fact, it mm. is explicitly stated that there are like a thousand different smells that normal dogs would have gone and investigated, but Boyu does not. He is and, and Chambers makes it a point to explicitly say Voyu ignored a woodchuck. Yes. <laughs> Um, so there you go. That is why. Yeah, so they're up there. He's the Robocop of the story. They're shooting. Um, Barris takes Pierre Pont off on a secret mission because they have to hunt the most dangerous game of all. Well, and they're, they're the ones who have the vested interest right. in, in mm-hmm. getting ready and, to, uh, and, and that conversation was kind of funny because Roy was kind of incensed that he didn't get to go off on the great adventure. And he's like, well, that's okay. You'll be there next time. Oh, would you need me to shoot somebody? Right. <laughs> you know you won't be able to take your man with you. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> he said something that ended with 
with a D dash N. T dash N. Yeah. What could that be? I don't know, but you won't be able to take your man. Team my butler with me to shoot this motherfucker. What's you can't bring anything. You can't bring any bottles either because they clink. But my flask doesn't. So I'm going out there. Y'all will get fucked up. So we don't really find out what goes on during this little side quest. Right. We are, we are left with Roy. Because we are with Roy. And Roy goes hunting alone. And, uh, well, he doesn't go hunting alone. Well, he, he goes with for you. Goes for you. Sorry. And uh, during the, on their way back, they get tired, so they decide to take a nap in this unfamiliar part of the forest, which interest the, the description is uh, very strange, which I will find out because I... Uh, where are we? But this particular part of the story, while you're looking... Oh, there we up, go. I got it. ...is beautifully written. Oh, yes. It is... Chambers' yeah. descriptions here are just absolutely stunning. And it's funny because for all the vague descriptions we get of the characters mm-hmm. and the the creepy crawly sea urchin dragon things, we get this description of the field where he actually says that uh, it reminded him of, of France. It doesn't look like it was part of America. Mm-hmm. So we get a... I can read it if you want. Sure, go ahead. Uh, look lazily around, and for the first time noticed what a wonderfully beautiful spot I had chosen for a nap. It was an oval glade in the heart of the forest, level and carpeted with green grass. The trees that surrounded it were gigantic. They formed one tower, towering circular wall of verdure, blotting out all except the turquoise blue of the sky oval above. And now I noticed that in the center of the green sward lay a pool of water, Crystal clear, glimmering like a mirror in the meadow grass beside a block of granite. It scarcely seemed possible that the symmetry of tree and lawn and lucent pool could have been one of nature's accidents. Yes. All right. So he, yeah, he's found this like just perfect spot in the in the forest. Now and, you know, I wanted to be there. Well, this is like one of those. The, the way he describes it as forming this oval of perfect symmetry mm-hmm. with the pool kind of made me think that this is the place that's... And he says it's too perfect for nature. Right. That had to have... It um, had to be constructed. And it kind of... It's like that part in the fairy tale where you leave um, the normal and what you're used to... Mm-hmm. And you go into the world of the fantastic. Yep. And this is kind of like that portal, the liminal area, where not necessarily going into the fantastic, but where fantastic things can happen, where they touch our world. Mm-hmm. It's the, the, the between worlds. The doorway to the summer land. Right. It's 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 the wardrobe that you crawl through to get to Narnia. But not Narnia. Just the wardrobe. Right. And so, he's sitting here, he wakes up, and 
the dog starts growling. And they get up and they go and they meet a woman. I don't know about you guys, but when I read that sentence, mm -hmm. behind me my dog growled. Yes. I just kind of tensed up a little bit. Because mm -hmm. you know that that's, that's the signal. That's like the music in The Godfather before somebody gets whacked. Exactly. So you know something's about to happen. My dog is growling. Yasande sleeps with the fishes. Yasande, no. Yasande, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> You're going to come back to meet with me to, to my mansion in the woods. Cool. I'll pay. Or, or you'll be sleeping with the fishes at the bottom of this crystal clear pool that was too symmetrical and oval shape to be a creation of nature. <laughs> Is that a direct quote? <laughs> I'm going to quote uh, Nick Nicario at this point. Okay. <laughs> Fuck you, Ronnie. <laughs> But that's what really what happened. That's what happened. You sound um, like you know. You sound like Dom DeLuise, <laughs> the <laughs> the Godfather. I know. That's that's what makes it, it particularly effective. All right, just just so you know. It, that's what it is. Dirty Ezio. Dirty Ezio. <laughs> in in the years. There are two kingdoms, England and Jersey. Ezio <laughs> is good, better, best. <laughs> All right, so he he meets the young lady, whose name is Yasande. Yasande. Oh. Yeah. The whole and thing about her. Yeah, she's she's almost like an apparition in, in the way Chambers describes her. And it's love at first sight. She's too beautiful for words. Absolutely. But she even has a very long face. Even confusing words. <laughs> she was she was too beautiful for adjectives. <laughs> I couldn't look at her. Well he couldn't. No, he didn't. And he, he he looked at her briefly, but most of the, the first time he sees her, he's looking at her reflection. Yes. As as though looking at her directly would like give him a heart attack. So you know, it's safe to say that Yasand or Yasande or however you want to pronounce it, I, I, there is no pronunciation guide here. Is you know she's got an eighteen app to use yes. a game to well, use a gaming term. Multiply that by five because we're starting seven edition. Right, right. She got a ninety nine app. But yeah. But um, yeah. She um, they they talk. He finds out that she is a sculptor and she carved all the. Dragonflies and moths and things into these granite blocks that are around the pool. But wait, those are not American dragonflies. No, they are not American dragonflies. <gasps> Never forget. God damn. 
Foreign dragonflies. <laughs> and she's like, I would love to show you some more of my work. I would like to take you back to see my etchings. Mm-hmm. But first, I want your dog. Yes, I want your dog. <laughs> <laughs> your dog is fucking great, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the dog was fucking great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the dog seems to love her too. So yeah, it's yeah kind that of a growl was just like here. I don't know what the growl was for. The growl was probably just to say, "Yo, dude, dude, look over here, man." <laughs> oh, you dog, fucker! Yeah. But then the dog's head is immediately in her lap. Right, right, and she's yes. you know petting him, and and they're having a grand old time because hmm. because it's a great dog. And she seems to be a cool chick. And really, I mean, there's there's no other than you know you were talking about how much you hated the protagonists, you know, the three friends. Um, Yasand is she's almost like the most normal character until she starts talking about her life. Right. But you know, she seems you know she's well, very she's very know. sweet. She's, she's kind of kind. She's one. Of, she's kind of an odd person. She's got, like, this innocence about her. Right. Well, because it's like she's lived a really sheltered life. Born in ignorance. Yeah. And she has lived a very sheltered life. Right. And, and she's only 18. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we don't know how old Roy is, but, you know, we, I'm, I'm assuming that he has to be, you in know... In his 30s. In his I, 30s, <laughs> 40s, maybe... Because, you know, it seems yeah. like Barris maybe, you know, approaching 60. Pierre Pont seems to be the youngest to me. Yeah, Barris is probably old enough to be her father. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gosh. And... <laughs> you think so? <laughs> or maybe not. Dun, dun, maybe. Dun. You never know. You never know. So, he has this experience with, with Yasan the first time. But when he's looking in the fountain, she disappears. Yes. She just vanishes, almost like a ghost. And then he wakes up, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. And he's... Oh, was it all a dream? My goodness. If I have more dreams like that, I think I like this place. Hmm. Um. So it's dark by the time he wakes up. He and the dog make it back to camp. Oh, but not before they see. Dun the dun dun. <gasps> no. And instead of you know what everybody else has done so far, which is run away. Uh, you know. Voyou and and Roy, they go after this dude. They're like, what the fuck? Right. Because because originally when when the groundskeeper or the 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 animal husband says it, you know, he's like, oh, oh, backtrack a little. Yes. She sculpts, and she says she can make a, a dog as beautiful as your dog. Mm-hmm. Out of bronze. Yes. Yeah, and it, it seems that Roy does not put these two things together right away. 
I bet the dog did. Oh, I'm sure the dog did. The dog was like, man. That's the, dog, the lady. The dog could probably have told us the you know the accurate description of the thing in Godfrey's pocket as well. That's true. But conveniently, Chambers did not put the dog in that scene. The dog had gone on ahead. They get vacation early. Right, because there's no dog compartment on the train right. to, to the forest. And we do not put our dogs in the baggage compartment. No. Or tie them to the roof. Right. Or tie them to the roof. Or leave them running behind. We, we no. do not want to put our dogs... The dogs were not happy in the baggage compartment. And there is no sportsman car, and we don't tie them to the roof like the Romneys. <laughs> the Romneys. Romneys are <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, the first time that, that what's his name, Dan? Uh, Dan being uh, the 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 husband to the dogs. Oh, David. 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 All right, the first time David sees the the Chinaman in the in the forest. Um, Roy is like, a Chinaman here? God. A tiger in Africa? Africa. <laughs> well, here's the description of the Chinaman from yes. the perspective of Roy. As I turned up the path, I caught a glimpse of a human face peering at me from the darkening thicket. A horrible human face. Yellow and drawn with high cheekbones and narrow eyes. <gasps> Involuntarily, I halted, and the dog at my heels snarled. Yeah, so... Yeah. You can see why Howie liked this shit. <laughs> I roll. Yeah. But... He goes after the he goes after the mysterious Chinaman. Bumps his head or something. Falls into a briar bush or some shit. Who knows? Oh uh, yes, panting and, and struggling in a maze of twisted shrubbery and twining vines. Right, and um, David and and Howlett, you know, they find him and they're like, and Howlett's oh, like, all like, why do we fall down, Master Roy? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Alfred. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck your noodles, Alfred. Fuck your noodles. <laughs> Alright, now Christian Bale is now Roy. No, Roy is... No. Roy is not Christian Bale. Um, Pierpont is Christian Bale. Oh, Howlett. yeah. Howlett, tie my shoes. <laughs> My actually, actually, once uh, Pierre Pont gets back to the cabin or the house, because it's not a cabin, it's a fucking house. Yes, I've um, seen those hunting houses. The manor. Have you ever been on like the Eastern Shore and seen some of those hunting houses? No. Uh, Jesus fucking Christ, they live better than we do in their hunting house. Wow. Yes. Ugh. Now. Before Pierpont left, he was all like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I mean, I'm famished after crimping these two shells. And he gets <laughs> back. And he gets back with, with Barris after traipsing off into the woods for 
for this for a night. And he's, he's like, oh, I'm ready to take care of these guys. <laughs> I'm the hero Cardinal Forrest deserves. <laughs> awesome. Not the one that it needs. I kind of need an Iron Man. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Roy gets back. You know, and they 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 get they take him back and they beat him and all this great stuff and and he's chilling. And you know they get back now. I think we might have gotten something out of order because it seemed to me that he got back okay the first night. He got back, and this is where he's like, "Was it a dream? I couldn't stop thinking about her." Right, and it was the second time he went no. out into the woods. No, so what happens was he wakes up, and his buddies come by, and then they exchange information. Mm-hmm. Oh, and another of those uh, horrible yellow things is is in his pocket. Well, because that's when they have the they, they found the orb. Yeah, they found it, one of the orbs. And along with the orb comes the, oh, the thing. No, he tosses the thing onto the fire. Onto the hearth. Ah, oh, gah. Onto and the it, hearth. Right, he just throws it on the hearth. Because apparently they're kindling now. No, it didn't go into the fire. It's just on the hearth. The, the bricks in front of the fireplace. And it starts twitching and moving around because it's getting warm. It began to writhe. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting thing. Um, before they come back, you get all this um, back and forth between the help and Roy. And you have the situation where Roy, um, he is actually able to convince himself that Yasande and the Chinamen were just part of the dream that he had mm-hmm. because they were talking about Chinamen. Right. But uh, David doesn't believe that at all. And he knows he saw a Chinaman. And I'm wondering if this is kind of a a thing about class, where you have the upper class, the educated, oh, I cannot believe in that stuff, and then you have the lower classes who are very superstitious. I think, I think you might be right, because we have the later sequence okay. with with Howlett and, and David both having so, had seen the, the Chinaman. And if you remember in in uh, King and Yellow, in, in Repair Reputations, mm-hmm. the person who believed in, in uh, the King in Yellow, in, 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 in uh, Carcosa, was the one who lost his station. And right. He hit his head, and he, and he lost his station. And he was, he was the one who was in, believing in all of this. The people who were upper class didn't believe it at all. Right. And in the, in the other stories, um, most of the protagonists were upper class, and the whole story is how they come to believe something that's completely unbelievable. So right. I, I think this might be like one of the major themes of the chamber's weird. Right, right. And, and there's always an artist involved in some way. Right. Whether they're the upper class guys who are studying art like Chambers did, or you know, they're they encounter an artist, a, a fantasy girl who right. is 
a natural artist because she never studied. She, was she never artist. studied, yes. Where did you study? I, I just do this stuff, man. All right, so anyway, that, a little aside, I just had that note in there, and I mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that I... No, 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 that's good. Let's slid that in there. Um, oh, by the way, we also find out that Barrett has spies everywhere. Oh, yes. Um, they, it, yes, it is a running joke that, that Barrett has people everywhere. It's almost like the Secret Service in Chambers' world is, like, get smart. <laughs> You got guys in trees. <laughs> guys in trees. You know, the telegram is delivered by this guy dressed up as, as, as a native. And he's like, oh, I didn't think that such a rough-looking man would speak like a Harvard man. Oh, he is a Harvard man. Ha-ha! <laughs> well, apparently, apparently everybody in the woods who's not a counterfeiter... It's an agent. <laughs> right, is 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 an agent who reports directly to Barris. Because they get like telegrams sent off like that in the middle of nowhere. Right. Hmm. And and there's a telephone somewhere nearby as well. Yes. Why are they sending telegrams? Secret service, man. Because it's what the enemy least expects. Right. So apparently Barrett ha Barris has a telephone in his one of his boots or something. Okay, so now we have our breakfast. <laughs> right, we have our breakfast. Get that thing out of here. And Easy. then we get the frightful odor during breakfast. Yes. And Pierre Pont, I believe it was, pulls one of the yellow creatures out of his pocket. It's Barris. Uh, it on the, the hearth where it shuddered for a moment and then began to wither. Right. Rise. Oh, right. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at this uh, really crappy e-copy of it. Uh, Gutenberg? I don't know. I've got a lot of time, it bears his banis. Yeah. I mean, it's peeing pond. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. Come on, guys. Better than this. Tiflinies. Oh, yeah, exactly. there, there, there are there are quite a number of errors. But um, yeah, and he's like, "How did sweep that thing into the street?" I'm eating my toast. And we get to we get to Barris, and what he really thinks of China. Oh, yes, we do. You know, have you have you ever been to China, Barris? Oh, yes, I have. Let me tell you. There's no darker place than China. There's such evil there. The sorcerers there, they rule everything. Yes. Do you know what goes on in the interior of China? Does Europe know? Could any human being conceive of the condition of that gigantic hell pit? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, hell pit. You know, I have one. You know. This is where we get the first. <laughs> this is where we get the first information dump about what is actually going on. Correct. So, as the wool is pulled from our eyes, we find out that the sorcerers, there's a sorcerer sorcerers organization called the Kunyun, Kunyun. who yeah. are they control China. All of China. 
are controlled by these sorcerers. Mm-hmm. They're like Ferris's agents. They're everywhere. Right. I'm an agent of Smoosh. The most populous country in the world. At the time. At the time. Controlled by evil sorcerers. Right. The most murderously uh, diabolical sect on Earth. (laughs) Which which is actually completely made up. By the way, there's there's no such thing as a... As a, a Kuen Yuen. Damn it. I um, want to join. Now, the, the Kuen Yuen have these um, spheres mm-hmm. made of the composite gold with uh, dragons on them. And that's their symbol. Right. Their Sigul, if you will. And while they're looking at this thing, it starts changing color, and the dragons turn into... Images of our buddies, the weird sea urchin, reptile, headless dog, blah, blah, blah. Spider crabs. Right. And it freaks everybody out because this is happening. Because it's trippy as, it's trippy as fuck. It is. Um, it's sorcery. What is in this tea? Uh, I believe that was one of the questions Roy had asked at one point is, what did you put in my flask? Yes, that was after the second encounter with, uh, with uh, what's her name? Ysand. Ysand, yes. Yeah, uh, just the usual, sir. So here we go. These are not dragons. No, I cried excitedly. They're pictures of that reptile that Ferris brought back. See? See how they crawl and yep. turn? They, they... So so it seems that this, this fear, their, their badge of office, as it were... Um, have have a property that kind of reality shifts around the sphere itself, and it they never really talk about what what it is other than their symbol that you know apparently they all have one. I think it reacts to his scar. Uh, it's quite possible because I believe the first time it does it, um, it's because Roy touched it, and the second time it was with uh, Barris. Right. And they both have uh, what they call dragon's claw. claw. It's a crescent-shaped scar or birthmark. Yes. Which marks them as being uh, under the protection of Yue Lao, who is the leader of the sorcerers. Now, Yue Lao is actually... Um, an, an actual mythological figure in, in Chinese folklore. The maker of moons. He's the maker of yeah. moons. Uh, in in Chinese in Chinese mythology, he is the god of marriage. Yes. Uh, he binds destined couples together, which is kind of what happens with Roy and Yusan. But it's literally what happens. But here, it's more sinister than it ever was. In China, yeah. In, yeah, in China, the worst that ever happened was somebody questioned his matchmaking and their descendants never got married. Right. And and in this, he, he is a powerful evil sorcerer. Yeah. And he has basically, con- not only has he determined how to synthesize gold, but he has taken various um, nature spirits and combined them into this this creature 
of unspeakable evil and destruction. Yes. Yeah. She corrupted the good gen of China to turn mm -hmm. them into these monsters. Right. So um, really, they're a good gen. Yeah. The yes. He calls them. He calls them the Zin, or the Zin, or okay. Shin. I don't um, know. Um, which that word does you know that that doesn't exist either. That's the one Chinese dialect that I don't speak. No, Damn if, it. if you um, look it up, and they they all point to the same Maker of Moons character. Yeah, yeah they all go to the Interestingly enough, if we look at how this ends up with the lake, mm -hmm. and think of how Final Fantasy X was. What was Sin? Sin. The big ball of water with the yep. dragon inside. Yep. It's kind of, kind of the same way. Yeah, and and what did Sin do in Final Fantasy X? What were his attacks? He sent monsters out. Yep, little little mm. pieces little of itself. Yes. Exactly what these little cramp things are. And the main character of Final Fantasy X falls instantly in love. He's kind of a a a. a do nothing type of guy. He's a he's also displaced in time. Displaced in time into this fantasy world. Um, instantly falls in love with uh, the summoner. Yes. Yeah, so. And, but the the idea. Of course, she, her name is Yuna, not Yasande. Yeah, Yasande. Yasande kind of refers to them as as Jenai or Jenai. Um. Nature, nature spirits in in Chinese folklore, um, you know, it's it's close to the concept of the yaguai and the yokai, uh, good and evil of watch name, right? Uh, that Yuilao has has taken these these spirits and just smashed them together into this one monolithic terrible thing, evil, that evil. is evil. Probably because it's foreign. Well, here's the thing where... Made in China. I got in trouble for... Um, I won't say trouble. But um, over at the Ezine, the Lovecraft Ezine, I had, mm -hmm. I had mentioned that, there, that the casual racism of cultural appropriation right. for these monsters... Is also racism. Yes. And yes. I was I was admonished for that because you know I might have offended some of the people who who frequent the site. Right. And, and really, and 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 oh, we could probably do two hours just on that idea. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, we we come to find out that. That Yasande is the stepdaughter of a powerful sorcerer. At first, she doesn't say who it is. He makes the gold. Uh, she, he's got piles of it. She says, you know, but no, we don't have any money. But damn, we got a whole room full of gold. Oh, guys, we offended Nick. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> How did I offend Nick? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
All right, well, it wasn't really... I just got slightly held at. There you go. Um, uh, so, yeah... <laughs> Lost my train. My train. I, I was I was yelled at for I'm being sorry. too PC, but I wasn't told I was being too PC. Somebody else told me I was being too PC. Right. So there you go. That's the whole sordid business. Right. So all so, because all because I I was uh, bad mouthing uh, Belknap Long. Mm-hmm. Um. Because you know, Chargrafong. I didn't steal Chagner Fong from India, from the Hindus. I did not. Sorry. Um, so, Yasand is the stepdaughter of a powerful sorcerer. Yes. Uh, she was raised in a city Step called... Daughter. Yes. Uh, she was raised in a city called Yan, which is in... She doesn't know where it is. Um, it's across it, seven oceans and a, across seven oceans and and a river as long as from the earth to the moon. Yeah. The city of a thousand bridges where silver bells tinkle all the time. Um, sounds like a fantastic place to live. Um, I believe uh, Lovecraft appropriated this later. He placed Yuan Yuan on the uh, on the plateau of Wang. That's yeah. It was mentioned. I forgot which. Uh, yeah, he only mentions it. Which story? It's it's one of those things that Lovecraft does to kind of loosely affiliate his stories with the whole thing. Right, and and adding stuff that world building with with vagaries with vagaries and and, and borrowing and creating universes. Yes. Um. Yeah. So she's from Yon. Yon's this this wonderful magical place. Um, she grew up there, but she lived in isolation. She, they, her stepfather kept her in this walled garden, right. uh, apparently high up on a on a mountainside or in a tower or something like that. Yeah, we we learn all this during the second encounter. Right, the second encounter when Roy is just second just grilling the hell out of her, and and really kind of upsetting her. It's like, why are you treating me this way? And yeah, Roy was being a serious asshole about it, you know. And who's your father? Who is your daddy? Your and what daddy? does he do? Well, actually, I kind of got a song. I kind of had the impression that he was just trying to keep her talking just so he could spend more time with her. Uh, I, I think know her a little better. I, I think in a certain and, way he was. I mean, these are these generally he was asking these questions. You know, these are you know, get to know you kind of questions. Right. In a way, I mean, but. I mean, it did get to the point where it's like, okay, this might be related to the other thing that's going on with my other friends, mm-hmm. so I might need to know a little more. Right. Well, and I think as soon as she pulled out the second sculpture that right. she had made, that he kind of, I mean, no one's that dense. Right, and that mentioned her stepfather had a room full of gold and some men take it. You know, they'll never, you'll never find the house, but, you know... My stepfather brings it out in bags. These guys come and get it, and they take it somewhere. You know, she yeah. basically explains the entire plot of the, that of the Barris, criminal activity. Right, and that, that Barris has already explained to them as well. Right. And but he's then like, well, she's wrapped up in this. Yeah, but then that kind of falls flat, because that you never really get a good idea of why or 
who cares? Right. <laughs> I mean, it all kind of seems like this whole counterfeit gold thing. I don't think he really knew how to resolve that. It was a way to get everybody together in the forest. Mm -hmm. And to, it was to, a way to link everything up. Right, and a way to separate Barris and Pierpont from Roy so he could have his little dream thing. Mm -hmm. But, but uh, yeah. it really doesn't make internal sense beyond that as a plot device. No, it doesn't. And, and it, you're right, it does kind of, it, it falls flat, it falls short. I mean, hell, all the suspects end up dead. And, and really, why would the all-powerful head of the Sorcerer's Union of China need to manufacture and sell gold? Right. Well, but one of the things she said made me think that um, he was really just more of a, like a, a, a low-paid underling who actually does the manufacturing and doesn't profit from it. Because she mentions at one point that, oh, I wish he should... He, he, I wish he would sell this and make some money off of it. Mm -hmm. So it's almost and like he's giving it away to these guys. Yeah. Right. And they're taking it someplace and and selling it off. And, right. And For what purpose? Why? Maybe cares? maybe they're cheating him. Yeah, he's a powerful. Person. Maybe it ties into maybe it ties into Slayer of Souls, which is the second reference Chambers makes to the city of Yan and the sorcerers there. And that there are an, a faction of anarchists who are trying to, uh, you know, destroy the world economy. Okay, uh, maybe, maybe that would make sense. But in the context of this story, you just don't really get an, a satisfactory ending because even Barris, at the end of the story, goes off on a tangent of we've lost the whole count. No, they're all dead, but. I've been to Yan. Right, I've been there. I'm. I lived there. He even went on like a, on, like a, a rant, mm -hmm. like a, a non-contextual rant. Yep. About Yan, about uh, about his crescent-shaped scar, um, about the woman that was made for him there, yeah. and he had a child, and 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 way long took his wife and child from him. And by the way, your girlfriend might just be my daughter. Right. And and so, so yeah, it shifts from Barris going out there on a mission for the Secret Service to he's really out there to get revenge. He knew it was Yue Lao the entire time. Right. And and he, he's there he's there specifically to kill him. Not to arrest him for, for bringing this gold in. That's just a pretext that he used to get the job under, uh, like, official mandate so he would have his own private army at his disposal. Well, kind of like the uh, pretext of um, bootlegging in Innsmouth. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and so, you know, they go for a, you know, Barris goes off. They capture one guy. Uh, in, in interesting American, yeah, the Shiner. When when, uh, when Roy is is grilling her, he he says, uh, "Does he speak as I do? Is he American?" Right. 
Does he America. speak as I do? Is he American? America. I, I, and Yassan being the cool chick she is, is, I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? You what are you talking about? Americans and Chinese and stuff like that. And 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 really, you know, her descriptions of Yan, uh, Chambers' descriptions of Yasan, um, you know, the fact that Barris lives that lived there at one point really makes Yan sound like this cosmopolitan city where all that sorts no, of people are. No one's ever heard of. That no one's ever heard of. It's right past Sarnath. Yeah, but it's a it's but according to Barris, it is a he agrees. That it is a beautiful and fantastic city. If it were, you know what the problem with this place is? Too many goddamn sorcerers. <laughs> I would think it was too many Chinese, but can't walk down the street without tripping on one. Everywhere you go, is these fucking balls everywhere. <laughs> fucking and magic balls. And his rant is like something worthy of Lovecraft too. The, yeah, or, or Howard. <laughs> yeah, the river and the thousand bridges, the white peak beyond, the sweet scented gardens, the lilies, the pleasant noise of the summer wind laden with bee music and the music of bells. These, All these are mine. Mine! <laughs> Do you think because the canyon feared the dragon's claw on my arm that my work with them was ended? Do you think that because... Yuan could give that I acknowledge his right to take away. I see Shang-Chi in whose shadow the white water lotus dares not raise its head. No, no. I mean, he goes off on this stuff. You're like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? You're dropping all these references that are like out of thin air. Mm-hmm. It's, all because it's, all because Roy mentions the city of Yuan. Yeah. yeah. It's like, have you have you ever you've been to China, right? Yes. Have you ever heard of Yan? What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Do not. You have no right to speak that name. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. And it, it was that kind of Nacho Grande. Yes. Um. It turns out it turns out that, problem. Right. <laughs> Yisan's stepfather is uh Yue Lao. Dun, dun, dun. Um, he, you know, Roy the the climax comes and and Barris goes off. Barris and I was gonna end it. take Pierre Pont. Yeah, he goes, he's like, It's time for the final showdown. You know, and <laughs> and load it up. Locked and loaded, and he runs off into the woods. And Roy's like, "No, wait! You know what about you know Yasan might get caught in the middle." And he goes running off into the woods to find to find Yasan or find Barris, whichever one he can find first. And um, then you see the animals are all running away from something. Yeah, the animals <laughs> oh, are booking it in the opposite direction as fast as they can go. They are completely ignoring Roy. And at first he's like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Barris is kicking up a noise, and then you know, she's like a bobcat, and he's like, well, bobcats wouldn't run away from Barris, you know. But and then you know, Fisher cats, and you know, the predators are are leaving too, right? 
and he's like, man, this is something really fucking serious is going on here. And he, he gets to a lake um, and pretty much is just, just lays down at the shore of this lake and yeah. is watching over the surface of the water. Because the, well, because the water's acting weird. Right. The water is the moving. Water it's acting as if there is a tide on it because it's swelling and mm -hmm. shrinking and swelling and shrinking. Right. And now the water was ebbing slowly and the waves receded, shrinking from the shore, shore rim until the white pebbles appeared again. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and the little urchin things who are now described as dogs without heads. Right. Now, now prior to this, Roy had gone home and tried to get some sleep. Right. But the wind cried to him, You saw yeah, and which, which spurs him to action that he has to go out and find her. Right. Um, and he gets to the lake and he watches the lake act weird. And Yassand comes to him and she starts talking about the, the Yeth hounds. Right. And, and what they are. She talks about the Zen and, and this sort of thing. The and, Zen is the big bad and the Yeth hounds are... You think she says that you think of um, the Zen as a Mandarin, mm -hmm. and the Yeth Hounds are its puppets. Right, all of its retainers and attendants. Right, so along with you, it. you basically have it sends off parts of itself. Yes, Ugh. like dirty servitor creatures that that are, and if one something happens to one of the servitor creatures, the Zen feels it. And the servitor creatures, you know, react to the Zen itself. And you know, when it moves, they move, and they're 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 linked. They're symbiotic in a way. It is a super cool monster. Now, Yue Long himself appears, and it is the Chinaman that that David saw, that Roy saw, and she's like, "That's him. That's my stepfather." And he's walking across the water with one of the orbs in his hand. Oh, and shit. That just... means he's got to be... <gasps> no! They're one right. and the same. Yep, they're one and the same. The, her stepfather is the maker of moons himself. Literally, because these orbs rise yes, into the air. And we need to have soap up. opera music for this. Mm-hmm. It's just one big tangled but clusterfuck. I, 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 you know, it was kind of, it was very potent description when, when Yue Long appears, and he's breathing on what appears to be a coal, and sparks are flying off the coal, and you know, it turns out no, it's not a coal. It's one of those spheres, and he's, it's active in his hand. So, so in a, in one way, it also appears that these, their symbols of the sorcerer's power are also kind of a focus for their power. And uh, since Yue Long is using them and he's the head of the sorcerers, it explains why they activate when Roy and Barris touch them as well. Mm -hmm. Well, also, this is, at this point, when they're talking about the big reveal, mm -hmm. The golden ball. Have you seen it change? Have you seen the reptiles ride? Roy is so taken aback and so just, I can't believe this. 
He says, God lives and sorcery is but a name. And she says, in Yuan, the, the Kun Yuan live, but God is but a name. Yep. So, I mean, that's like, you know what, you believe what you want to believe, but this is reality right here. Right here. Yeah, it's in your face. It's not sitting on some cloud in the sky. It's not in some book somewhere. It's in your face. Right. And Yui Long, Yui, Yui, yeah, Yui Lao shows up. And you're marked because you have the dragon's ball. And and does his job. He's there. To do, he does his job. He's like, Yasan, Roy, you two are destined to be together. A silk cord appears around their necks and, and binds them together. Which um, is a lot more ominous than in the... The mythology. Yeah, it's it doesn't. Where, where a silken cord binds you around your waist. You know, yeah, like three chapters ago, Roy would have been happy for this moment. You know, but but Chambers turns <laughs> around and makes this makes this uh, revelation that Yasand and he are destined to be together. You know, into this almost nightmarish scene. Um. <clears throat> And then after that, you know, he's—it's almost like you know, Yui Lao is about to, uh, you know, do the wedding ceremony and pronounce the man and wife. Fucking Barris pops out of the woods and starts capping Yui Lao. <laughs> 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 and Yui Lao is like, "Oh, you, you puny human weapons! Look what I got!" <laughs> <laughs> and the Zen comes up out of the water. Yeah, the Zen. I saw the spidery, crab-like creatures swarm around me and drag their soft, yellow, hairy bodies across the shrinking grass. They passed, hundreds of them, poisoning the air, tumbling, riding, crawling with their blind, mouthless heads raised. Birds, half asleep and confused by the, by the darkness, fluttered away before them in helpless fright. Rabbits sprang from their form, forms. Weasels glided away like flying shadows. But that wasn't the worst of it. Right. Because that's like the the harbinger, mm. and uh, yeah, Zin comes and and Roy faints, faints. <laughs> and there is another check. Check. Fainting hero. And my note was, of course you did. <laughs> and he wakes up after it's over. You know, there's no sign of Yui Lao. There's no sign of the the Yeth Hounds. There's no sign of the Zin. Uh, you know, it's all seems like a dream. Barris has disappeared. Right. You know, they go the back and they find his will and, and a note that restates everything he said in his rant. Right. You know, okay. and, and reveals that Yassand is most likely his daughter. Probably my daughter. Probably my daughter. And then we get to the closing element where he's writing this letter to the Secret Service to tell them, get your burn ass the woods, up here. Burn the woods, destroy everything. Yeah, get your ass up here to, to take care of this shit. Um, you know, we're, we're waiting. You know, we, Pierre Pont's loading up his guns because I'm the hero. Yeah. <laughs> and... Roy is is like taking charge of this. They want to dredge the lake. They want to hunt the forest. 
and exterminate every one of the yef hounds. <clears throat> and he's, he's waiting before the, the residents of the nearby community get wind of it and just charge through there and just burn the whole forest down. Right. And... But then, the window, the window. Yassand comes up, places her hand on his shoulder. Baby, why are you writing that shit? <laughs> Ain't none of that real. Is it? It doesn't make sense for it not to be real, to be honest. Because, first of all, he's writing a letter to the authorities about this. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't real, he would be falsifying a report and arrestable for that. Well, he's not really falsifying a report because he doesn't work for the Secret Service. Now, right, but, it's um, like, but it's like accusing somebody falsely of a crime. Well, you get the impression... And wasting police time. You get the impression that David, Howlett, Pierpont, and Roy all believe that this happened. Right. And that the only one who is saying that, oh, you're a silly goose, is Asande. Mm -hmm. And I have a theory about that. She was a supernatural creature, came from a supernatural world. Mm -hmm. He comes along, pulls her out of that world. Maybe his world starts to influence her, and maybe her memories. So maybe she doesn't think it's real. Well, the roles are reversed as well, because she's originally the one who tells him all this stuff, and he is saying, no, none of this is real. Don't, don't you know, you know, don't you know about Jesus? Uh, you know, we don't do this shit here. This is America. This is America. We don't we don't believe in this type of stuff. Well, literally, you know, and and the and the roles have switched. He has gone from being the voice of reason uh, amidst all the crazy talk to be the one who's purveying the crazy talk, and Yassand is the voice of reason. And there there is a dreamlike quality throughout all of uh, Roy's narrative, starting from the very mundane. And getting to the really weird part, and then he wakes up, and he's relaying all this. Um, but it's also kind of a, you know, in a way, Yassan's statement there at the end is also kind of a critique of the fantasy writer. You know, it's like, why, why are you writing, you know, this made-up crap? You know, and I'm, you know, maybe he was kind of echoing. Chambers was echoing something that you know was said to him. It could be. Um, he, we know Chambers for his weird tales, mm -hmm. but Chambers, in general, was known more for his romance. Yep. I mean, he was an actual working writer. Yep. He supported himself writing. I'm sure it didn't hurt for him to have a little bit of a trust fund. Right. But I mean. He was many, he was working and pretty successful in his yeah, day. How many how many writers do you know on Facebook or whatever who are just writing? Mm -hmm. I wish not, I could be just writing. Not a lot. And, right. awesome. and he was not supporting himself with King and Yellow and Maker of Moons. Right. He was supporting himself with, with the romances, the more mainstream kind of the stuff book. people are gonna pay for. Right. And and Yassand being there criticizing him for writing this fantastic tale, um, you know, and and yeah, it's, 
I remember a little bit of the fourth wall being broken. A little bit of the fourth wall being broken. I remember when I was in art class in high school and 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 you know sketching fantasy drawings and the art teacher coming to me and say, "Why do you draw that crap? You know, draw draw this apple instead. You know, draw something real." Here's the other thing: it can be Yasande trying to protect the world she comes from. Mm -hmm. uh, I consider that too. That is a possibility. Uh, she does. Fact, she, go ahead. I mean, the, the the specific way that she puts this is how can you write such silly nonsense without a shadow of truth or foundation? Mm -hmm. Now, if you're just critiquing somebody's writing, that's not the kind of thing you would really say. I wonder if maybe she was suggesting that, you know, honey, you know that this isn't true, right? You know, there's there's no truth to this, right? Right. Well, she also she also mentions when she's talking about Yue Lao um, that you know being in his favor is is great, but you know he can just as easily withdraw his favor, and, and withdrawing his favor is the same thing as death, and you know and and protecting him from from that by by illustrating this aspect of Yue Lao. That you know he's going to withdraw his favor, um, just like he did with Barris, because that's that's pretty much what happened with Barris is that something something happened. He was one of Yue Lao's chosen. He had the mark. He had the mark. He had the wife. He had the wife, and they had a daughter, and he was happy. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I got the mark. <laughs> Little scar I got for years. Uh, You've, you've pissed off you way well. Yes. <laughs> and 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 so and so in some ways it's kind of the the, the well, I don't want to really say the darker side of religion, but that example of you know the gods aren't just one aspect. They're they they have personality and they have whims and desires of their own. And you know if you tell this story. As the you know this way particularly, you know he's gonna, you know my stepfather's gonna pull his favor and we'll be separated and you know this is I destroy you know, Vermont <laughs> right and and you know Yasan also you know we talked about Roy you know love at first sight when he first sees Yasan Yasan is the same way when she gets her first look at Roy she goes pale. And, and withdraws and 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 looks the other way and does not look at him in in the face either. It's like when they look at each other directly, they they know that you know they're destined to be together. Right. Which very you know unrealistic but romantic mm. in its own. So you know. Yeah. The yellow peril stuff aside, uh, you know, and 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 the the clear uh, distrust of of the Orient. Um, yeah, I, I love this story. I, I, you know, it was it was a good read. It was engaging, and you just it his pacing, his descriptions, 
even his dialogue between the buddies, you know, everything just kind of worked out well and made it a, a very a satisfying read. I really felt, yeah, you know, that was that was that was a good read when I was done. Uh, anybody else have final thoughts? Yeah, um, I actually liked it a lot better this time reading it than I did originally mm-hmm. reading it. Um, when I originally read it, I kind of thought it was boring and really pointless. Right. Um, but reading it and paying more attention to it structurally, can't talk, and... Uh, and uh, what was going on in it? I like it was really subtle. It's a, it's a lot more subtle than any of the King and Yellow stories mm-hmm. were, and I, I, I appreciated that. And I could see where a lot of those old, weird, weird tales writers, um, why why they go to chambers. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. He's better than a lot of them. I think, and I think one of the strong suits um, of the story was how it changed in tone over the course of the story. How it it started off light and and it just kept getting it got darker and darker and darker with a couple little scary moments in between, but lightness in the middle and you know that and he he just navigated those changes in tone so well. And no one will play Final Fantasy X the same Ever. again. Well, the same. The same. Still play it. It's a great game. <laughs> what about you, Kim? Well, I really liked it. Really liked it. Um, and when, when you mentioned that Chambers wrote romance, thinking back on it, you can really see that throughout this the, the latter part of the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of the, the flowery descriptions of the two of them and how they spend time together and get to know each other and fall in love like that, it makes a whole lot of sense. In fact, I wanted to point out my my favorite passage in here was from the that final scene when they're they're caught together. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see where is it? Frozen with terror, I stumbled to my knees, groping for my revolver, which bulged in my coat pocket. But something held me, something which bound me like a web in a thousand strong silky meshes. I struggled and turned, but the web grew tighter. It was over us, all around us, drawing pressing us into each other's arms until we lay side by side, bound hand and body and foot, palpitating, panting like a pair of netted pigeons. <laughs> and I read that and I thought, oh, girl? <laughs> <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> so, yeah, it was really a good story. I liked it a lot. And I'm, I'm probably going to go back to the story again. Mm-hmm. And and I would also suggest um, Slayer of Souls. Pick up pick up that. That's also because that, yeah, I have to go to that next. Sounds like a Judas Priest song. Uh, it, but, it does but, oh sound my like gosh, a Judas we need a song, we need but, a better audio reader for heaven's sake. But uh, Slayer is Slayer is kind of you know along the same lines except it's novel length. So you get you get more of it, and there is more of the romantic comedy aspect. More of the weird yellow peril horror aspect as well. It's just really fun, and it's the I think it's the only other story Chambers wrote that references um, you know the, this particular mythology that he was using. Um, 
yeah, so that's that's our that's our thoughts on it. We all liked it. Thumbs up. Kim will probably give it a toe for the whole webs thing. There you go. The webs. You're bound. You're bound. Hunting. Hand and foot. Palpitating. Hand and foot and head and mouth and you're bound to the groin and you're palpitating <laughs> and sweating and it was just you know, it was it was really uh, disgusting, uh, but it was kind of mm, it was kind of hot mm, at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that that does it for us. We're gonna we're gonna leave you with Dom DeLuise saying that passage. Um, <laughs> and Monday, what are we doing Monday? We're, we'll be having Monday Night Heroes. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, we're either playing. A time to harvest, or we're playing um, slasher flick. Slasher flick. I think yeah. Nick really wants to bang candy, so I think he's gonna really try to get us to in the slasher flick. Yeah, but I mean, kind of need everybody there for slasher flick. Mm. Yeah, and Leah's not gonna be around, so, so yeah. who knows what's going on? Yeah, we'll be doing something. Around we'll be Tuesday. doing something on Monday. Don't worry. Yep, we'll be playing on Monday. Monday Night Heroes, uh, 9.30 Eastern Time. Next Friday, we'll be doing some Friday Fungi. Yes, Kim? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. And next Saturday, we'll uh, have a special guest. Sazine uh, Keeler will be here uh, to, to have a chat about horror. and Maybe we'll bring up Maker Moons and Lovecraft and all sorts of fun stuff. <laughs> so, until then... Say good night, Gracie. Say good night. Good night, Gracie. Gracie, can you tie my shoes? I've done. I've cribbed my last shell. Good. <laughs> All right, sir. I'll do that for you right away. All right. Good night, Gracie.